Good morning, and welcome to Holy Trinity Church. My name's Rita Welsh, I'm one of the ministry team here. And we're so pleased and we're so thankful to God that we can once again meet in the building. Some of us are here. More and more of you are joining us on Facebook Live or watching the service at some other time. And we just pray that wherever you are, it will be a blessing. We are gathered to worship God. It is his name that we praise and honour. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are able to understand, to know that we are loved by God. There have been notices that you will have seen on the live stream or you see other places. I'm not sure if there's any that in particular that I want to highlight this morning. Just to say, whatever you're involved in that's in and around Holy Trinity, we just pray that God will bless you as you engage with him and you engage with the work that's going on and that you will find his love and his peace in all that you do. So as we come to worship, let's gather our hearts in prayer. Feel free, if you wish to stand to pray, feel free. If you wish to sit, I know I've enjoyed a few months of sitting on my sofa with my cup of coffee while the service has been going on. It's God we're coming to. He knows our hearts. So let's bring our hearts before the Lord. Oh, wonderful creator God, the almighty being, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving God. We praise you and we thank you that we have life, that we are able to gather together to praise your name this morning. We thank you for this building that we are managing to use again. And we give you the glory for all the people behind the scenes who make that possible. We thank you for our, our friends and our colleagues who are at home. We ask that you would bless them. Bless every household, every individual who comes to seek your name and seek your face this morning. We just give you all the praise and glory. You are the creator of time and space. You are not bound by it. And we just pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will move across this world. You will move in the hearts of all who turn their eyes to you, that they will come to see that you are their God and they are your child. Bless us as we come and to pray and to praise and to worship and to hear your word. For we come humbly, we come acknowledging our sin, we come acknowledging our need of you, and we come also claiming your promises that where we gather in your name, you are with us. So bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're now going to be led in worship. My old youth worker used to say that no matter what our circumstances are, there's always a reason to praise God. There's always something to give him thanks and praise for. So we're going to sing of his goodness to tell him that we love him. So if you're able, it's good to stand. Although we're not allowed to uh, sing out, you can raise your hands, you can move, and you can fix your thoughts, affections, your minds upon Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's stand together. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. I 
days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of god i love your voice you have led me through the fire in darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God and God you're so I know that one thing that's been very difficult for families is how to help the children to keep engaged with, with the gospel message. 
and they're not able to be with their friends downstairs in Chatterbox. Nothing's been quite the same. It's been such a difficult time. And we're so pleased that we're able to now have a couple of our young people with us today. It's great to see you. Brilliant to have you along. And hopefully we'll be able to start a very limited amount of, of young people's work in the downstairs of the building in a few weeks' time. Joe and Haley are working so hard on that. Messages will be coming out. Joe's writing emails by the million. Um, I hope she's able to say copy all rather than write them all, but she's got better technical skills than me. But meanwhile, Haley's going to come and do something for Anna and for Callum here, but also for all our young people watching at home. Yes, good morning. It's so nice to be together again this morning, whether you're watching at home, online, or you're able to be in the sanctuary together. This morning, we're, the Ollie's message, we're going to look at Psalm 139. And this is an amazing psalm. Some of you might be thinking, oh, I know this psalm, like the back of my hand. And others may be thinking, oh, I'm not too sure if I know this one or if I've read it. But trust me, you definitely, definitely know some scripture from this psalm. So it can be really hard doing an all-age message because you're trying to talk to the littlest people in, who are part of our church family straight through to the grown-ups in our church family. So, But this psalm is full of goodness about God, who he is, and how he feels about us. So some of you might know me, I'm Hayley and I'm the youth worker here at Holy Trinity, so I work with the teenagers and um, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of how I came to be here at Holy Trinity. I came through the Alpha course, which a lot of you all know is just a course that HT run for young people and for adults um, about getting to know God and learning more about Christianity and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't. I knew about Jesus from things like the nativity at school or things you maybe learned when you've done religion at school but I didn't really have any idea about who God was or having a relationship with him. So Alpha was amazing um, just helping us to learn. I came along, my now husband came along and my brother was, he'd done the youth Alpha at the time. He's now a grown adult and he's married but um, Alpha was amazing. We learned so much about just God, his character. What do Christians really believe? What does God say about me? And at the end of that course, my husband and my brother decided, yes, I know who Jesus is and I'm going to put my trust in him. And they gave their life to Jesus. And I was still like, nah, not for me. Not yet. I think I know what's going on here, but I'm not too sure. So I'll keep my distance. And really early on during Alpha, I knew something strange was happening. Something weird was happening. I found myself defending the Bible when I didn't even believe in the Bible and defending God when I didn't even believe in God. And I wasn't even sure if he was real. But eventually, about a year later, Alpha course came up again, and I'd done it again, and eventually um, decided to give in and accept Jesus for who I knew that he already was, as the Son of God, and that he died for my sins so that I could have a relationship with him. And that was really special. But one thing that um, I thought about as I looked back on that year, of I really pursued God, and I read the Bible, and I journaled, and I prayed, and I talked to Christians, but one thing God really highlighted to me was, no, no, no. I was pursuing you that whole time. You thought you were just pursuing me, but I was already pursuing you. So this psalm is full of good things, but this morning I want us to just think about the fact that God pursues you. And pursues a bit of a funny word. So if you're watching at home and you're like, what is that word Haley saying? It just means to follow or to chase after. So when we say God is pursuing you, we mean God is chasing after you and following you because he loves you and he wants that relation, a special relationship with you, which is great. So in one of the um, 
verses, I think it's verse 13, it says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. So even before we were born, God made us and he knows us. And then it goes on in verse 16 to say, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came true. So if we're saying God pursues us, God needs to really, really know as well. And this, by this um, Sam tells us that God knew us even before we were born. Our, our names were written in his book and all our days that are ordained for us, he already knows about. And that's really exciting. And we've got some babies who are due to come very, very soon um, in our church family. And how amazing is it to think that God knows that baby's name. God knows all the days ordained for that baby and he has a plan and purpose for their lives. When I think back um, over my life and how does God pursue me when I, I didn't come to church, I didn't get to go to chatterboxes, I didn't get to learn about Bible stories. So how could God have pursued me this whole time? And it, he reminded me of a time when um, we were younger. I used to come to Holy Trinity as a teenager. So my best friend, Nicole, a lot of you will know, um, she would trick me into coming to youth group. And um, we were about 14 or 15, and she would be like, come back to mine after school, and we'll hang out, and we'll have dinner together. And then she'd go, oh, I've got youth group tonight. I really, I forgot about it. You'll have to come along. So I would have to go along, and I'd be so mad at her. Like, can't believe you're making me go to the church. It's full of weird people, and they're crazy, and they believe all this crazy stuff. And I would come in, and I would sit here in the sanctuary, and Ollie would be leading, um, and we'd play games, and... I'd be like, these people are off their head. How could they believe that any of this is true? How could they believe that God is real and that he does all this crazy stuff that we hear about in the Bible? But when I was thinking about this week that God pursues us, God is like, but Haley, do you know, when you were 14 and you came into this church and you sat there and you thought, these people are crazy, I already knew that one day you would be standing in a similar position to Ollie and you would be teaching these young people about Jesus and you would be teaching them about the Bible. I had no, no inkling about God. I didn't even want a relationship with God. I wasn't interested. And when we think back to just this year, it's been a bit of a wild one, hasn't it? And it's been a bit crazy, like a roller coaster. There's been highs and there's been lows. And we've not been able to be together. And we've not been able to worship God together. We've not been able to be down in chatterboxes together, learning from the Bible, hearing from God. And that's been really tough and really hard. But the verse in... Um, Verse 7 of Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depth, you are there. God pursues us through the highs and the things that we celebrate and we're joyful about. But he also pursues us through the hard times where we question God and we're like, oh, you know, I'm hearing this thing, I'm reading this in my Bible and I'm hearing this from my family and at church, but at school we learn something different and, and the world tells me to live my life a bit of a different way and I don't know how it all works up. And if I'm having doubts and I can't be a Christian and I've got questions for God and I can't be a Christian, so maybe I should just leave it. But this morning I want us all to know that even though sometimes we're really good on, on track with God, sometimes we go through really tough times, but God is right there. He is with us because he pursues us and he loves us and he wants that relationship with us. So my challenge to you this week is that there's no balls today, so I'm not going to get walloped in the head like I did last week, thankfully. But um, my challenge to you this week is to open Psalm 139. Whether you're one of the smallest people in our church or some of our older people, open up that psalm and read it and let God talk to you through that scripture. Let God show you how he's pursued you over your life. Whether you knew God at that point or not, I didn't know God when... Um, I came to Thursday Club, but God knew me and he knew the good plans and purposes he had for me. Or maybe you could pick a word or maybe just a short verse and just 
ponder over that that week. Ask God, God, show me where you've pursued me. Show me how you're pursuing me. Maybe you've got a friend at school or maybe you've got a family member that you're like, I really, really, really want them to know Jesus. I really, really want them to have the Lord in their life, but they just don't seem interested. Maybe we could just be praying over that person and remembering the truth that God is also pursuing them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you created us, you made us, you know everything about us. And Lord, even though we might hide from you, even though we might drift away and go down a path that's not helpful, Lord, we know that you walk by our side every day. So Lord, I pray that um, we would know this morning and we would know this week that you pursue us and you are with us all the time. Holy Spirit, would you stir our hearts so that we would know more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that, Hayley. It's just so lovely to, to hear people's testimony. And um, we've all got some different story because we're, we're all unique and wonderfully made. And we've, we've all got our, our story of how we came to know Christ and what Christ means to us. And one of the things I really enjoy about being at Holy Trinity, scarily, it's coming up for three and a half years that I've been here now, are the amazing people that I've got to know. Now, I've got a gentleman today that I'm going to see if he'll come up and sit on the, the settee and have a chat with me. I know him. He kids on his shy, but I don't think he's as shy as he thinks. So, Paul, go and come up and have a seat. I, mean, I think it's fair to say that I don't know you that well, Paul. No. No. I, I was at your wedding. Yes, you were, yes. Yes, I, I was. I seem to remember pinning buttonholes on yes, you. Yes, you helped my sure. best man pin his buttonhole, yes. Yes, so we got it sorted out. Um, and I know you're married to the lovely Carol. Yes, yeah. I know that this year you've had a very busy year because you've been moving house. Yes, very stressful, very, very busy. It was I think there's some yes. other people here this morning who, uh, yeah. they said, yeah, never again, yeah. never again. And I also know that you love the Lord. Yes. I know you were involved in the Baptist Church before you came to Holy Trinity because like, a, like any good husband, very well trained, goes where his wife tells him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But why were you at the Baptist Church? Why are you at this church? Why are you a Christian? T tell, tell us something about your story. Uh, well, uh, when, I was, when I was quite young, uh, my mum had a connection with the churches in Western Hills before, before she got married. She was... Uh, when West Hills was just starting to be built, she went along to a church plant in, in Longstone, Longstone mm -hmm. Baptist, which was going to be the West Hills Baptist Church eventually. And of course, she was going along as youth at the time and just kind of went along with her sister and just fell away a wee bit and just uh, um, got married and then moved into the new houses in West Hills at the time. And of course, the, when I came along, she was like, well, she knew the church was built. The Baptist church, obviously, HT was built by then, so she thought, well, she took me and my brothers along to the church, to the creche, to the, the groups we were on, and started going back to church again. So I always remember going along to the, you know, being brought up in the church in some way, just uh, from an early age. And when I was age five, we were going to go back. Well, after all these years of, you know, thinking about it, she became a Christian. So that completely changed things. It was from then on, um, when my mum became a Christian, that, that was us we were going as a family to church every Sunday, Sunday morning, and she was part of the worship, singing away, and I would be in the Sunday school. So uh, from then on, it was just getting to know more about God. And then a couple of years after that, in October 1982, uh, the church every year, the Baptist church, every, October, October break used to have a, 
a kid's mission for a week. And uh, so I remember going along to this every year without fail. And in October 1982, went along and of course, throughout the whole week, it was games and fun and singing. And throughout the week, you were hearing about God and doing little studies. And on the last night, they were made a call, said, look, if there's anyone here who wants to know God and wants to find out more, come and see us afterwards. And I was at first, I was like, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. I've not been here a while, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but then I felt some, I, I didn't feel right, I felt uh, really nervous, really, I was just, I just, there was something there, I was like, no, but I need to find out more, and somebody was said beside me, one of my friends said, no, no, I'll go up with you, it's like, I know it's a bit scary, but we'll, we'll take you up, so they, we went up together, and uh, one of the, the ministers at the time, he said, look, I'll explain, I'll chat to you about it, and so the, the youth work at the time, and the, the team said, well, we'll chat about it. And they explained everything for me about how to become a Christian and explained them about it. And he said, well, do you feel this is right for you? And on that, on that night, on the Friday night, on the last night of the children's mission, I said, yes, I want to do that. So I became a Christian, aged eight, yeah. at the children's mission. Mm -hmm. And since then, obviously, I started going, I was carrying on Sunday school, uh, Bible class, youth fellowship, just working, going up and growing God. And, and then eventually getting involved with things in the church, getting involved with uh, if it was dramas with the youth, or if it was just uh, eventually helping the Sunday school and the, and the, uh, or helping with the youth work as well, and just uh, throughout the years it was kind of a slower progression of so okay, well, maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that, or stewarding, I could uh, maybe shoot have, have skills this way or do that. So I would always, uh, it would be great to be involved in the church in some way or other. Yeah, yeah. So that that, that coming that so coming through the way of contrast to Haley, who didn't have anything to do with it as a child and came to it as a teenager. The other way around, you were there, you were always, you were always involved. Yeah, yeah my mum was, uh, she was like the forefront of, 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 of an early age. She would just, she, she'd obviously said, to, 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 I'd like you to come, to come. she didn't force her, she said, I'd like you to come with us. If there was times, she was like, no, no, we don't want to go. She wouldn't say, no, no, yeah. you've got to come, you've got to go. you must come with me. She was, yeah. she was like, no, no, I, I want them to pressurise you, it's up to you. If you want to come, yeah. you feel it's right, you come along. Yeah. Uh -huh. But it, it's really good because God doesn't just have the, the one one fix, one way to do it. It's all t he, he tailors everything, as, as Haley was saying. Mm -hmm. He follows after us. He's there pursuing us in very different ways because we're all very different people. And then once you became a Christian, you wanted to be involved in the church, mm -hmm. and that was something that is very important to you, and you're such a help here with, with all the, the, the bits and pieces, helping with the youngsters, helping with the technical stuff and everything. Some people then find themselves led into a job that is related to their, their faith. Mm -hmm. I've ended up at this age becoming a, an ordained local minister. Haley's a youth worker. People have different, uh, but how do you, is there anything that you do that you love doing that you feel is a way of expressing your Christian faith? Um, for years when I was obviously doing Christian work in some, uh, so I would always, uh, there was at one point in my life where I would do, in the summer times, I would go away and do children's missions in Arbroath for BCM uh, or uh, in Los Angeles for beach mission or something. So I would always have that desire of working with kids and young folk and obviously the Sunday school and then of course but also I had another desire where I loved music and I loved, loved listening to radio, listening to I had a big music collection so I always loved, so we said well why don't you do, you've got a good voice, why don't you broadcast it, why don't you do radio and I was like not sure, not sure but then I loved it, I was always yeah, listening to music and loved it all and then I got involved with some Christian radio projects in the 90s so kind of that was my way in of doing some, 90, some, some radio projects that were based in Edinburgh at the time for the, you know, called March for Jesus Radio. So I kind of did that over four or five years. So that kind of I opened my eyes to things a bit. And there was a couple of years gap 
And at the church, when I was speaking to one of my elders at the church, he's like, you know what? He said, you'd be good at, because you do work for kids and Sunday school and things in the walk club, you'd be good at doing radio as well, but doing it, working with kids as well at the same time, do it for both. He says, why don't you look into voluntary work? I said, oh, well, yeah, okay, I could do it. And he said, well, there's the sick kids. They've got hospital radio there. Have you ever thought of... So I said, oh, I'll have a look. I went and had a look into it and thought, okay, I'll go for it. And of course, uh, way back in 2004, uh, it was like November 2004, uh, they said, look, I spoke to them and they said, look, we'd love you to come. It's only a couple of hours a week. Um, and you'd be taking requests and the kids go around the wards. So from uh, November 2004, and I'm still there to this day, it was kind of uh, going around and going around all the wards and the sick kids, seeing all the kids, getting their requests, playing games with them. And of course, hearing out the radio side, which was put in the back burner mm -hmm. a bit because you couldn't go straight into it when you, when you joined. But obviously, eventually, I got trained up and said, Look, this is a system you like to show. Yeah, I'll show that. And one of the guys who, who interviewed me, he was moving on job. He wasn't able to do it anymore. He said, Well, I'm going to be leaving soon. So I need someone to take over the radio side of things on a Monday night. So are you happy to step mm -hmm. into the breaches and do that? And it'll be, you can do, put your own spin mm -hmm. on it. I said, yeah, That's fine. So in 2008, I took over the running of the Monday show, plus obviously still doing the ward visit on the Wednesday. So I was doing two nights a week. And since then, I've done, you know, carried on the Monday. So that's over 12 years now. And, and when I'm also with the volunteers, I see every night when we're doing training. Um, they obviously, when you get chatting over coffee, they're, they'll ask me about what you do. Or there's been chances of me to say, about, mm -hmm. oh, I go to West Coast Baptist, I go to Holy Trinity. So there have been chances of me chatting. They know I'm a Christian. They know mm -hmm. uh, what my background is. And uh, so they, oh, they can see there's something there. One mm -hmm. of the guys I work with, he's my team leader, he says, you know what, I could see there was something there. Yeah. I could see the way you are with people, mm -hmm. the way you are young folk, the way you are with, just on the radio there. Just, uh, I could see there's, there's something there. So I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And so he was quizzing me and asking me what it is. And I, was, I always chat to him all the time and say, look, if you want to come on to church, like you can come along with me if you want yeah. to. So, so I'm getting opportunities to kind of, uh -huh. while I'm doing the volunteer work, kind of chat to folk about my Christian faith and about uh, what, what I'm doing you know, yeah. church-wise. Yeah. So something that you really enjoyed doing and then something that the Lord has given you the skills to do yeah. and then opportunities to serve him. I mean, the, the, the support it is for the families and the children is just yeah. amazing. Um, and, and that people are willing to give their time but then that you find that as, almost as a side, you're also witnessing to the love of Christ. Um, and it, it's just brilliant. And obviously it makes you so happy. It makes you so fulfilled. And it's your faith that brings you to life. So thank you. Can we just pray for the work of Radio Lollipop? Yes, yes, that okay? yeah, yes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for people like Paul who have the, you've given the skills and you've given the desire to serve you. It might seem a, a strange thing to, to run a help with a voluntary radio show. But we thank you, Lord, that you do use people in all sorts of walks of life to bring your joy and your peace and your compassion in circumstances that are the most frightening in life is when you've got somebody ill in the hospital. But also that Paul is able to witness to your love that people see he is different and that he's not ashamed to say, I'm different because I know the risen Christ. He is the center of my life. He is the one I worship and adore. I just pray that you would bless Paul and the other volunteers in all they do and give him strength to show your love in all the awkward circumstances he reaches. And that through it all, glory may go to you, our risen Christ. Amen. And I think you're going to do our reading for yes, us this morning as well, yes. Paul. Nothing like making him work while he's here. <laughs>
uh, technology. <laughs> okay, there we go. I'll stand up. Okay. The reading today is from Nehemiah chapter 8. It's from, it's from verse 1 to 12. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right side stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hekiah, and Masaiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkajai, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshiah, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kavlita, Isaiah, Josabad, Hanan, and Perala instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, Oh, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed other people, saying, Be still, for this is the holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Thank you very much. And we're now going to have a, another worship from the band. This is a song that we're able to sing um, and to reflect on. Some of the songs will be very reflective over the coming weeks. And this has some beautiful words. And maybe there's a word just within that that allows you just to fix your thoughts on God and for, to find his help. Um, if you're able, it's good to stand before the Lord what gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this i hold my hope is only jesus for my life 
is wholly bound to his oh how strange how divine i can sing all is mine yet not i but through christ in me the night is dark but I am not forsaken For by my side The Savior He will stay I labor on In weakness and rejoicing For in my need His power is displayed To this I hold My shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead oh the night has been won and i shall overcome yet not i but through christ in I dread I know I am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this I hold my sin has been defeated Jesus now and ever is my plea oh the chains are released I can sing I am free yet not I but through Christ in me breath I long to follow Jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne to this I hold my hope is only Jesus all the glory evermore to him when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I but through Christ in me when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I
Thank you very much. Given us all a lot of things to, to reflect on, I'm sure. Just one word sometimes just hits right home to the heart. The words from God, and we'll be looking at that as we move on. We've been looking over the past number of weeks about Nehemiah and the returning exiles, and we'd be thinking of the theme of survival to revival. We started a number of weeks ago. I, I took the first one in the series, and I talked very much about a man who cried. And today, hopefully, we're going to see a, a wonderful little image if the technical stops working. Maybe not. There we go, the one behind me rather than that one. We've been thinking this morning of how we've gone from tears, Nehemiah in tears, because we're held, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, its gates have been burned. When I heard these things, Nehemiah said, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord of heaven. And we heard in the reading from Paul today that the people were crying. They were despair and in tears, grieving, crying out to God. But then we move on to the joy and that we can find when we come to know God. So we're going to look this morning through some of that. We've already heard about Nehemiah being given permission to go to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls being built in record time and the gates being hung. We've thought over the weeks as we've moved through from chapter one to chapter six, he faced opposition. He showed determination. Throughout many, many trials, he was obedient to God. And Ian reminded us last week that just even at that end, when it, the work seemed to be just within grabbing distance, Nehemiah had to deal with distractions, with accusations, with threats. Some of the things we may be facing in life when we're trying to do what we know we should do, not always easy. But through all of this, Nehemiah remained focused on God. He remained true to the task set before him. And his faithfulness to God was honoured. His tears, his cries of anguish that we heard in chapter 1 were honoured. God saw that his heart was good and God honoured the work he did. And we didn't look very much at chapter 7, but I was reading through it, and he did this, oversaw this physical work of rebuilding. But I just want to sort of check the numbers here. He kept this wide range of families that you can see all listed in chapter 7. And it involved a total of 42,360 people. The NIV told me that, I didn't do the sums and another 7,337 slaves. And something that would have had the Church of Scotland COVID team going completely mad, 245 singers. He was managing all this disparate bunch of people, as well as a rebuilding project that we couldn't cope with here over years, never mind a few days. His brother, who'd bought him the original news, was put in charge. Security was established, guards were posted, even though the city inside hadn't been rebuilt. They were defending Jerusalem, the city where the temple was, the city where they would go to meet with God. That place of meeting had to be secure. And then we're told right at the end of chapter 7, they settled. They had survived. 
Against all the odds, they had survived. And in some ways, that would seem to be an end of a story. This was in a mess. We went, we did, we done. <sighs> but that's not the story that Nehemiah was involved in. They moved forward into the next stage of revival. So before we move to this next stage, let us just settle for a minute and ask God to be with us and to speak through his word that we may hear what he has to say for us today. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you of a story of survival. We thank you that through this year, we have got to this point and have survived. And it's not been easy. But you have been there with us through it all, just as you were with Nehemiah. And Lord, as the people settled, I'd ask that this morning you would settle our hearts and our minds. That you would put the distractions, the opposition, the worries, the cares, help us to put them to one side for this time. To settle in our spirits and to listen for your word. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Really, I think that the first few verses of chapter 8 are, are the pivotal point in this story. And I'll read them to you. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and the others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. What I felt was important when I was reading that passage through again and again as I was preparing during the week was how important it is to note that the people gathered spontaneously they weren't instructed and they weren't coerced. It was nothing about this people management that Nehemiah had been doing before. They gathered near the temple in this city that was defended but still a ruin and they came to gather. And they told Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses. And then they listened attentively and responded to God's word. The people told Ezra, bring out the book of the law of, the Moses, of Moses. So what did he read? Was it a manifesto for the new city as we'd have at some grand opening ceremony where everybody was there because they told to be and you stand here and you wave your flag at the right time and whatever? Was it some sort of a manifesto? Was it saying that was what God said then so let's adapt it to this new context? No, emphatically no. He opened the book of the law of Moses. These foundation articles of their faith, credited with divine authority, 
Moses had received on the mount. God had written in tablets of stone and expanded on to Moses and the priests. And this word was for all who could understand. Not for some, not for the educated elite, not for the men, which might have been typical in that time, not just for adults, but all who could understand. And Ezra stood high above them. There was no doubt this was the right book. Nobody could say it was a fudge, it was a hoax, it was conspiracy. And what a throng if we had all those people that I mentioned before. So probably getting on for 45,000 people. What a crowd. And he read. He read for hours. And each section that he read was expanded on so that the people could understood what it meant, what it meant for their life as individuals, as families, as community. And the Spirit convicted individuals of God's commands and expectations and of the challenges that come inevitably to all who try to keep his commandments. Then in verse 6 we hear, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear it was from God and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And the impact on the gathered community was that they did understand. They moved from what was by then probably a place of more or less blind religious observance, this is what it said, but whatever, to what one commentator I was reading described as a step towards some degree of divine human fellowship with the assurance, they shall know me. The old covenant of Mo established, holding the promise of the new covenant yet to come in Christ. And what was the initial response of this mass of people who demanded to be read the law, had heard it, had had it explained? They bowed down and they worshipped. They grieved and they mourned and wept for the sins they committed, for the way they now understood that they had disobeyed, for the worship they hadn't offered, for the individual and communal challenges and conviction that had gone on. And that marked the start of the first part of the revival. They acknowledged their need for God. What a moment. All of us who've come to that point with Christ can point to some way that we've realized our need for God. Haley spoke about her awareness and how she wasn't going to do it, but then did. Paul, it had kind of always be there. For me, it was a revelation in an instant when somebody said, where does Christ live? And I said, it should be in my heart. My heart. And they said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, come in. That acknowledging the need of God that we all have, that we all try to ignore, or we've accepted. But Nehemiah doesn't leave the people wallowing this state of awareness of what's wrong and broken and missing in their relationship with God. He pointed them then to the need to look forward, 
to step into this new relationship, to allow God to refresh, renew, and revive their spirits, to give them joy, to give them celebration, to make that their strength. A very special day for the people gathered in Jerusalem, and this major turning point, not just from survival to where we're okay to is this, but to actually move into the revival. In verse 9 and 10, we're told, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy the choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I could finish there, but I'm not going to, because I've got more to say to you this morning. I think it is important to note that at the start of the passage, the people told Ezra to read the law. They demanded that the word of God be declared. They're making this public recognition that the physical, material, survival achieved also needed God restored to his rightful place. The word of God above everything in that went on in that city. And that that was the precursor to their spiritual revival. What a contrast in our context. We seem to have so much of the material success and development, but where in our society, even I would challenge you maybe to say where in your life is a cry for the word of God to be declared above all. I'll leave that for you to reflect on later. But I would like to then add a, a wee warning to be maybe a little bit careful what we ask for. It's a big step to say, God, speak. A few verses that just a reminder of what the word of God can do. The same word read by Ezra, the same word that became flesh in Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In Hebrews, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And what Jesus told us in, in Mark chapter 1, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word was and is essential for spiritual life. The word was and is alive, and the measure of judgment. The time to repent came then to Nehemiah and the people returning from exile, and it comes now to each and every one of us. The people wept and repented, and spiritual revival followed. We pray for revival in our lives, in our church, in our country, throughout the world. Are we trying to skip a step? Have we become settled 
and are just waiting for God to do it? Or are we going to do what the people found they had to do? Are we to seek the word of God? Are we to be moved by it? Are we to let it bite deep into our lives? Will it reduce us to tears and grieving before the joy can come? We don't know what the Levites and the others responsible for explaining the book of the law had to say, but this morning I'd I'd like to offer you five steps to follow as we reflect on the challenges God's putting on our lives. It's nothing new, but maybe a different, different way of looking at it. I'd refer you later on to look to Psalm 32. And I think there'll be a slide come up which indicates some of the verses are which are possible. And I don't know if it's possible to put that on the Facebook page at some point later. That's to people whose God has given great technical gifts, which is not given to me. But let's think about this. What aspect of our lives is the Spirit dealing with? Where are we on this stage from surviving to being revived? Firstly, the psalmist reminds us we need to be honest about our need for repentance. Are we honest? No one comes to God with true repentance in their heart unless they first acknowledge their need for forgiveness and reconciliation with him. And that's a different challenge for each and every one of us. Only those who ceased trying to cover up their sin with self-righteousness and deceit can experience that deep and lasting change that comes through repentance. So we have to acknowledge the danger of sin and the damage of guilt. If we're seeking repentance because God's Spirit has forgiven us, we will. We often blame others for our stress, our moodiness, but at many times we simply feel bad because we have done bad things. For some people, it might not seem bad at all. For others, it becomes a deep conviction. I think one of the worst things we can do is look at other people and say what they should be repenting of. We're warned about planks in our eyes rather than specks in others, aren't we? David describes physical and emotional symptoms associated with a guilty conscience in the psalm. But we must honestly assess the consequences of our sin. The personal consequences, and it has had and will continue to have on others. Acknowledge the damage that can be done. We need to confess fully. Deep repentance demands full confession. The only way to be truly covered by Christ is to fully expose the situation we're in. As we move through this process of repentance, we must fight to be utterly transparent before God about the depth and breadth of our sins. Only ruthless honesty will suffice, just as it did for the people of Israel gathered there. Some translations say they, they wept and they grieved, others were in despair and crying, Only ruthless honesty, and that's quite a challenge, will lead to the freedom and the joy. Then we need to move on. We need to hide in God, according to the psalmists. Adam and Eve hid, as we remember in Genesis, behind self-made coverings to mask their sin. What do we try to hide behind to make ourselves appear more acceptable than we really are? If 
We want to change, really change. We must hide in God. Not just to say, I admit my wrong behaviours, but to admit what they feel inside. Admit their attempts to hide behind excuses, to hide behind, I'm not as bad as them, to hide behind, it was only a wee sin. We're to stop hiding in our effort and hide in God. And then finally seize the hope. We've gone through all this. We're grieving. We're in despair. We're crying out to God. How can we be sure he'll forgive us? Because all the promises made in the law, in the, the covenant with Abraham, with the wisdom books, everything was fulfilled in Christ. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. God promised to Adam and Eve to crush the enemy. He promised Abraham to claim and protect a people. He promised Moses to provide a way for sinful humans to meaningfully relate to God. He promised David to provide a once and for all eternal king for the kingdom. Throughout history, till the moment at today when you are repenting of what you are being challenged by, by the word of God, God has been saying and continues to say, I love you. I love you. I will not fail you. I am enough. So look to the promises of God. Seize the hope. And be glad, as Psalm 32, 11 says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Then our despair and weeping will be transformed into tears of joy. Then we will experience revival in the strength that comes from God alone. Then we will be able to say, as the psalmist does in Psalm 30, sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forevermore. So yes, cry from the whole of our being for what we are going through this year. Cry in our hearts for the sadness that we feel. Cry out to God to help us settle in our spirits and listen to him speaking through his word, that we may repent as we are prompted, that our tears will turn to joy and that we will lift our hearts in praise and then be able to feel, to fulfill the first line of the Shorter Catechism, which was ingrained to me at quite an early age, even though I wasn't a Christian. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So as we go from this place, may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, remain with us and all whom we love, both now and evermore. Amen. <laughs>